Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, begins a new series called Questions from Calvary. If you want to watch the video of this message or listen to this week's worship, you can do so on our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or you can find all of that and more on our Brookwood app. We pray that this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. Today we begin our Easter series, which I've called Questions from Calvary. I'm glad you're here. You're sitting in comfortable chairs. Some of you I see are even wearing your pajamas, but feel free. In this series, we will examine questions asked by Jesus to the people that he was in the presence of up to and during his crucifixion. The reason questions are important is because questions reveal the thinking, the feeling of the person who's doing the asking. It was true of him. It's true of us as well. The title to today's message is a convicting question. I hope that you have your outlines already and a pen and a Bible. Just jot down. Not What I say is probably not nearly as important as what the Spirit whispers to you during this time of looking into the scripture. So the title to today's message is a convicting question. And the theme verse is Mark 14 verse 37, which is part of our passage for today. This passage that we'll be studying today is on page 817 in the book that is available here at Brookwood, but you can find it in your own version. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? And so that question applies to each of us as well. As we study this series, we want to understand more about who Jesus was and is, his personhood, his personality, his relational and his emotional nature. You know, an old Reformation theologian said this, Christ has put on our feelings along with our flesh. And I think sometimes we know that Jesus became flesh, so he appeared human, but we wonder whether he really was. So in this series, we're going to look at the emotional nature of Jesus so we can see just how much like us he truly is. And so we start with Jesus' time in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, first, he sought support. Mark chapter 14, and we're beginning at verse 32. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, he's speaking to, to the whole group of disciples, but particularly to eight of them, sit here. So he stopped at the entrance and he said, you, you eight stay right here while I go and pray. The word Gethsemane means oil press. And it refers to a private garden area that's part of an olive grove. It was likely walled in those days. And it sits at the base of the Mount of Olives across a uh, valley from the city of Jerusalem. 
Apparently, Jesus had been given permission by someone he knew, perhaps even a follower, to enter the garden for escape, for rest, for prayer. And he did it often whenever he was in the city. He continues at verse 33. He took Peter, James, and John with him. And he became deeply troubled and distressed. Luke tells us that he told them to stop and then he went a stone's throw farther. But he took these three disciples. Why these three? Well, they were obviously the three closest to him. And he didn't take them merely to train them. You know, we make a mistake if we think that Jesus was, was only disciplining these men for when he would leave. These men were also his friends. So he invited them. He asked them to go with him to provide personal comfort, to offer support as he talked to his father in heaven about his looming terror. Jesus possessed human, human emotions. And in this time of great anguish, he wanted his friends nearby. Isn't that just like us? In verse 34, he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Jesus felt overwhelming sorrow, deep sadness, because he is just like us. Hebrews chapter 2, I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 2, in verse 14, you can turn there. And in this Bible, it's on page 965. But it says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood, just like us at verse 14. And then drop down to verse 17. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us. Again, we, we understand that he had to become physically like us, but we're not sure that he became like us mentally and certainly not emotionally. But he did. And then back in Mark 14, at verse 34, he said to them, stay here. And keep watch with me. And the word translated watch means to have the alertness of a guard at night. So you, you can't see everything clearly. So you have to watch closely and look for movement. And what he's saying is be alert. Be vigilant. Be aware. Observe what is going on around you. Jesus wanted his friends to be aware about the time and the circumstances that the events that would lead to his death would soon begin and really had begun from the Passover dinner on. And he desired their presence, their love, just because merely their closeness offered him comfort. See, sometimes we reduce a personal relationship with Jesus to almost one dimension. 
we ask, he forgives, we get into heaven. But a relationship with Jesus is more than admission into heaven. In fact, it's more than receiving instruction and direction on earth. A relationship with Jesus is just like a relationship with each other. It means sharing concerns, knowing what's in each other's hearts, understanding each other's minds about issues. And so we want to know Jesus' concerns, his desires, his joys, and his sorrows. You know, at this time that many of us are, if not afraid, we're concerned about what the future will hold. We're, we're concerned about our physical well-being, but, but for many of us also our financial survival. And we, we think, oh, I hope that I can survive this. I hope I can get through this. Well, we will get through it because time will pass. But will we get through it having grown to know our Savior in a deeper, more intimate way? Now's a good time to spend some time talking to Jesus, asking questions, asking him Jesus, what are your concerns and desires for this world? And what do you want to happen within me during this time? While we're, we're suffering under this overhanging threat of disease, what should be happening in me? What do you want me to think and do? In the garden, Jesus also surrendered to suffering. And we go to verse 35. He went on a little farther and he fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, this awful hour, and he's really talking about this, this time of suffering. Uh, it was much more than an hour. In fact, this, this awful hour actually refers to the time in Gethsemane, certainly the time of arrest around midnight, all the way through the night until he died at about noon the next day. So the hour was really about 12 hours. But he said if it's possible that this awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. So Jesus came and he prayed. He laid with his face to the ground and he called on his father. I wonder if we ever lay ourselves out like that for God. It, it might be, again, something to, to, to try, to practice, where we just humble ourselves completely before God. Eliminate every distraction we can. We can lie prostrate and, prostrate and ask him, God, what do you want me to know about not only this situation, but about you? At this time, he continued at verse 36. Abba and Abba is a term of endearment. It's a term of intimacy. It's more like our daddy. Abba, father, he cried out. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Now, depending on what translation you have, the words of suffering may not be in the text. In fact, 
those words shouldn't be in the text, in my opinion. They were added in by the translators of the New Living, which I'm reading from. And they were attempting to give explanation. And it's true that in the long night ahead of Jesus, the false accusation, the, the physical abuse, which would culminate in crucifixion early in the morning, having a crown of thorns pressed into his scalp, a sword stabbed into his side, spikes driven through his wrist and through his feet. All of those things would certainly cause great physical suffering. But I don't think that is the most accurate meaning of this word cup. In scripture, the word cup actually represents God's wrath. And it's God's wrath poured out as an expression of, of judgment, in particular, judgment against sin. Jesus' anguish was not an expression of his fear of death. It wasn't him speaking of his concern for the extreme pain he would suffer. Because the truth is, thousands of people died by crucifixion. See, Jesus' grief was unique, but it was caused by his horrifying recognition that he would become the bearer of sin and the recipient of divine wrath. Jesus asked if his father would remove the cup, if, if, if somehow he could avoid drinking this cup of his father's wrath. He wasn't asking the father to please let me out of this. He wasn't asking the, the father to change your plan to forgive the sins of mankind. But he was questioning whether redemption could be achieved by some other means. You know, when we may think, well, that doesn't seem appropriate that he would ask that. But I want us to understand, we can ask God anything you know I had only a couple of rules for my children when they were growing up and I said they could ask me anything respectfully and I think that's true of God in the relationship we can ask God any question and my other rule for my children was you can ask for anything, whether it be candy or toys, but they had to do that humbly. And I think that those two rules apply to God and his children. I think we can ask for anything humbly and we can ask anything respectfully. And Jesus clearly did that. So this statement, this question was not an expression of weakness or fear. It was the honest expression of a pure, sinless person who was about to experience unimaginable evil. He would feel it personally. He would understand it in his mind. Was there some intimidation on the part of Jesus? I think there was. This proves his 
humanity. It also proves his holiness. This one who never said an an ugly word, never had an evil thought, never acted out in a wrongful way, was hesitant. He pulled back from experiencing the evil of all of mankind, including, including every one of us individually. In verse 36, the latter part, he said, yet your, I want your will to be done, not mine. See, in this, in this dialogue, this conversation with his father, Jesus wasn't resisting God's will. This was not a defiant child. This was not a resistant son. But this was one who was honestly expressing what he was feeling as he yielded himself, as he acquiesced to it. It's like the obedient child who asks a parent, do I really have to do this? And the loving parent doesn't mind that question because the parent helps the child yield to what needs to be done. Though Jesus asked to avoid the cup, he surrendered himself to the will of the Father. And I think it's interesting to note that it it tells us a lot about that relationship and about the Father's nature that at that moment, the Father showed compassion on his much-loved Son. On page 848, In Luke's telling of this story, in chapter 22, at verse 43, we see that right then, an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. So the father sent a comforter for the son. But Jesus' anguish and his humanity is evident again in what happened next. We drop down to verse 44 on that same page in Luke chapter 22. He prayed more fervently. It's like the angel strengthened him. And so he he intensified his prayer. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. And it was sweat tinged with drops of blood because this is called hematidrosis. And when someone suffers under very intense pressure, it's rare, but it can cause capillaries to dilate and to burst. And therefore, sweat becomes mixed with blood. The sweat produced by anxiety and the blood tinges the sweat. But here's the question for us. Would we obey God's will if it caused us suffering and we knew it would cause us suffering? Right now, are we obeying God's will even if it causes us inconvenience? Jesus also, we see, solicited 
concern. He had an ongoing expectation of his friends. And at verse 37, then he returned and found the disciples asleep. In the midst of Jesus' agonizing struggle, his friends fell asleep and Jesus returned and found them that way. Now you wonder, when you think about them being asleep, were they unaware of what was going on? Or worse, were they indifferent to the the anxiety that Jesus was suffering? No. Luke 22, 45, you can turn there if you want. But I just want to summarize. Luke twenty two forty five 45 says they were exhausted from grief. Now it was a late hour, perhaps 11 o'clock at night. But these men who loved Jesus, they knew he had told them repeatedly, but he retold them there in the upper room during the Passover dinner, that he was about to die. And he told them that one of them would betray him and all of them would abandon him. So imagine what they are feeling. Remember, Peter even said, I'll never, I'll never betray you. I'll never abandon you. And Jesus said, oh yeah, you'll abandon me. You'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. So these men, they're they're overcome by their own grief, their own worry, their self-examination. And if you've ever been really pressed down with worry, and some of you may be today, you know that it produces exhaustion in us. In this hour of need, though, Jesus is concerned about them. He understands them. And I think that's what motivated him to go back and, as we say, check on them. Because he knew that he had told them some very distressing things in in just the hours before. But he still desired their companionship. He wanted their concern for him. And we continue in verse 37. He said to Peter, Simon, interesting, I think he called him Simon rather than Peter because remember, Peter means the rock. And this man is not acting like a rock at this point. Are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me for even one hour? It may be that they had been there for that length of time, or it may be just a word he's using for the time of prayer. But I want you to put yourself in the place of Peter. You, you were encouraged that he wanted you with him, with only two others, and you went further into the garden, whereas all the others were left at the gate. But imagine... You know you've been asked to watch. You know that implies to pray. But imagine how he felt when he was awakened by the one he was supposed to be offering support. 
Would he have been embarrassed? Ashamed? This is when I, I, I miss having the congregation here because these are the kinds of questions that I ask you. And so you can shout out your answers from your living rooms or your bed, wherever you are. And perhaps we'll hear them. But certainly, they were convicted about their failing. Embarrassed about their weakness. Now, I don't think Jesus was scolding or shaming these men he loved. But don't miss that he wanted their support. He desired their concern. He coveted their prayers. He valued their presence. Which is why he brought them into the garden. Was he disappointed by them? Even hurt? Again, answer that question. By their ability to stay awake? I think he was. Because his emotions were human. And his relationship with these men was real and intimate. He wasn't angry or resentful toward these sleeping friends. But the reason was that Jesus, though he was human, he wasn't a human who had a lot of insecurity and had suffered rejection and believed lies. His relationship with them was based in truth. He knew who he was. He knew who they were. He loved them, but he wasn't codependent on them. Sometimes we refer to our friendships, call them friendships, but they're really codependent connections because they're so fraught with needs. And so often there's hurt feelings and resentments. Jesus' relationships are not like that. They're based in truth. So what he feels is accurate. Then Jesus said in verse 38, he continued, keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation. So he exhorted them to stay alert, to pray continually, to remain vigilant, to recognize, to resist spiritual attack. And you know, everything he says to them, he's saying to us. And his reason was, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Now the English word body is actually the Greek word sarx. And what it literally means is what? It means flesh. And so Jesus is warning them and us that because of that part of us, that, that physical self that is not redeemed, that is not yet sanctified, the flesh we can be too easily distracted. 
we are susceptible to being enticed by physical needs and desires. And so we give into temptation if we don't stay alert and stay connected to God in prayer and stay aligned with him by being sensitive to his spirit and by letting his word guide our lives. In verse 39, then Jesus left them again and he prayed the same prayer as before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. And that is after he awakened them, they didn't know what to say. Can you imagine being humiliated this second time? These men loved Jesus. These men wanted to support him. They were just exhausted. And they gave in to their physical need, their exhaustion. They were disappointed in themselves. They offered no excuse. You know, sometimes when you've been caught with your hand in the cookie jar, you offer no explanation because there isn't one that's satisfactory. And that's what they felt. Here's a question for us. During this time of difficulty, can God trust us to keep watch? Can God rely on us to pray? To pray for our families, to pray for our church, for our community? for our country, for this world, especially now as a virus ravages the globe? Or rather, are we spiritually asleep? In other words, have, have my personal concerns caused me to care only about what's needful in me to be sensitive to what's lacking in me so that I don't have the ability to pray beyond myself to serve others in need around me see if I can only be concerned and I'm staying in my house and worrying about my situation I'm really asleep Spiritually. See, we have the opportunity now to share in the suffering of Christ. When we struggle in prayer, when we intercede in situations where God's intervention is essential, the greatest power that is present in this earth is the power of praying Christians asking the Spirit of God to intercede to stop the spread of illness. But more important, more important than people not getting sick is that the Spirit of God 
would turn many hearts and minds to Jesus Christ. You see, this time showed us, and amazingly how quickly it showed us, just how out of control our lives are truly all the time. We have a semblance of everything's under control. The job's under control, the house, the family. We have uh, the pets under control. We have our finances under control. And in no time at all, everything is threatened. Can we trust God? Can we suffer with Christ as we feel not only the threats to our own lives, but to our neighbors and to others throughout this world? And we we cry out in prayer. Jesus ultimately submitted to God's plan. In verse 41. When he returned to them the third time, he said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest now. The time has come. But then something happened. I think, I think this, this group came into the garden or he heard them. The son of man, he says, but no, the time has come. So he had just told them, have your sleep. And then I wonder whether he heard all of these soldiers and Judas coming into the garden. He heard them walking. He heard them talking because he changes here. And he says, go to sleep, get some rest. But no, the time has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Jesus yielded himself fully to the Father's plan. So when Judas, his betrayer, arrived with soldiers and and temple police to arrest him, Jesus didn't resist. Judas didn't understand Jesus' calling or he would have understood that he didn't need to have soldiers with him because Jesus was fulfilling the Father's plan. Jesus exhibited no fear in the face of death. He, he held the cup of God's wrathful judgment, but he no longer trembled. He submitted to God's plan, so he moved toward the cross with settled confidence. Has God given you a calling? Are you resisting? then you're in the Garden of Gethsemane as well. In in this unsettled time when so many are fearful and many are panicked, we've been called to trust God, believing that he will work even through this disease. You know, the real shame would be not that we've been cloistered in our homes for whatever period of time, but that this would happen and we wouldn't be changed spiritually when it ends. You know, many of us have wanted more time to seek God. Now you have it. So use it. Follow the reading guide and the soul training that's included in the outline. If you say, well, 
Well, what else can I do? Well, read and reflect on the Easter story. Read it through all four of the Gospels. And for comfort, read and reread and reread Psalms 91. Let this threatening time be a time like James says, you can consider it joy as God develops your spiritual endurance as you trust him. Let's pray. Father, I do pray for your intervention. I pray that you would strengthen your children during this time so that we would not be unable to trust you in threatening times, but grow our ability to trust. Help us to know you more intimately. And God, during this time of upheaval, I pray that your spirit would draw many people to faith. And Lord, I do ask that you would provide for us all, but especially the poor. Oh Lord, I pray that you would secure the jobs of, of so many of us that desperately need every paycheck. So work, God, I ask. Intercede, intervene and use us where you will. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. Email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326 to get in contact with our Connections team. You can also find our message archives and many other resources on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.